This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. It's 9.36 in the morning and you're listening to the SM Show. And this is a show all about uh, what's working and what's not in markets. I'm Julian Ng, together with Ku Su Chuang. And uh, today we have uh, our usual guest, a regular guest, Dr. Suresh Ramanathan, who's an independent FX strategist. And we'll be talking, uh, Doc, about three topics. The first one is Bank Nagara's uh, 25 basis point cut in the OPR. Uh, secondly, Japan's stimulus. And thirdly, what's happening in the FOMC tonight. So uh, let's kick off with the OPR, 25 basis points. Your thoughts? Uh, at least I expected it uh, to happen, uh, given the fact that, you know... You were one of the smart ones. <laughs> <laughs> You know, the fact that rates were steady for a long time and have been calling for this cut uh, for quite some time as well. And what really convinced me were the numbers for month of May and June, automobile sales, exports, uh, PMI numbers and so on. So that cut has actually occurred, uh, caught the market off guard. But I think there's one more cut sometime in the fourth quarter this year, uh, which is going to be a function of the data releases the next few months itself. But, but you know, overall, actually, it's expected for me. Uh, it's a counter-cyclical policy for monetary policy itself, uh, given that fiscal policy has been kept steady for quite some time. So which means, actually, there's some sort of injection of stimulus uh, in markets itself, which uh, I would say it's actually positive. Is positive. this Bank Nagara's view as well, that uh, they are on an easing policy? Uh, I mean, looking at their statements right after the cut, uh, it looked very much that they were very concerned with the slowdown in the domestic part of it itself. Uh, I mean, the external part, given the Brexit that we had, uh, that was something which we, we it was unexpected as well. But uh, I think how this spillover to this local economy was much more of a greater concern. The narrative has always been quite transparent, right, uh, under the old central bank governor Zeti, uh, the new Datuk Mohamed Ibrahim. There, apparently, there's not much indication. You know, did you? You know, how how much of the policy do you think will change from here? In, in the sense that they'll just move on their own volition without really signalling to the market. Okay, I th- I think there's a change of uh, the style of monetary policy compared to doc- during Dr. Zeti's time and and under Ibrahim itself. Uh, what I've seen very obvious is uh, Dr. Zeti's style is very much is uh, gives the market a bit of warning. Uh, and that really comes with uh, statements and commands and so on. But um, Mr. Ibrahim's uh, style is actually, uh, he looks at it actually in a different angle all the while. Um, given that actually, he's what kind prob- of angle is this? Uh, he's acting very data centric. <laughs> right, right. Uh, very data centric. Uh, Hasn't it always been the center of the Bank Nagara way? Sometimes, yes, but uh, I think uh, in the sense that doc- during Dr. Zetti's time, it was more of a psychology of the markets itself. While Ibrahim's style is actually more of data centric, so it's I think a lot of market participants were caught off guard by this because they perceive that the the, the regime on monetary policy or the style will remain the same as what occurred during Dr. Zetti's time itself. Mm-hmm. So that's why actually they were really caught off guard. He also so, made some statements sub- subsequently to the cut about the property sector, saying that. Uh, Bank Nagara actually doesn't have um, very big restrictions on lending to the property sector. Is only the case that people can't afford to buy property that that is a natural cutoff uh, from more loans being diverted to the sector. But I think this has set a lot of tongues wagging about whether the interest rates were cut to support the property sector. Yeah, I know there's an argument there going forward actually that you know whether this cut was actually 
uh, in support of the property market. But, you know, looking at it, actually, from the man on the street view, uh, houses are really unaffordable these days uh, for an average wage earner itself. Uh, a mid-manager who's earning around six to 7,000 ringgit, uh, his spouse may be earning the same amount, take home pay roughly around like eight or nine K. Uh, you apply for a loan to get half a million. Uh, so, and it's, it's so it's difficult. not it's not really a, yeah. all about the property sector. It's the economy, right? Yes, and, and exactly. And do you think that yeah. uh, there are weak undertones in the economy? I think the main problem that's actually stifling uh, the structure of the economy is wages. Wages have actually not caught up uh, with the productivity levels to a large extent over the years, uh, and some of it is actually being artificially suppressed by foreign migrants itself at least for the parts of uh, executives and Malaysians, middle managers, or even lower-ranking managers, wages have really not caught up at all. How much has it to do with the shareholders? I mean, look, I mean, the government being in business is one big phenomenon in Malaysia. It's one of the big uh, debates that we have at BFM as well. But corporate margins, despite the fact you know that corporate profits have been on the decline for the last three or four years, margins are still very, very good. Why, why don't major owners pass on some of this margin to their human capital. We make such a big song and dance about human capital, how they're the number one asset of the company, but look, it doesn't yeah. translate so to wages. So what, yeah. what you're saying, Chuang, is to pay them more, is it? Pay them more. Right. Pay them more. Because Will it solve the problem, though? Because the, the power still remains within the hands of the shareholder, which is the government right now, yeah. and direction would be yeah. uh, driven by that shareholding, right? I think at the top echelons, you know, yeah. Suresh, you might disagree, but at the top echelons, they get very, very well paid. But yeah. from, you know, basically <laughs> senior management and below, it's yeah, nothing. It's, it's, it, that's why I said, actually, a lot of it, actually, wages are, are high wages, actually, we're all closer towards, actually, international levels are concentrated in the in the part of the board and chairman and managing directors. You see. Below that, you don't see the spillover effects at all. Uh, mm -hmm. And that's the major concern while you find that many of the talented Malaysians leave the nation itself. It's actually a wage structure which has been stifled for since way back, since 1998, after the crisis. Right, so that, that's relevant because the GLC yeah. problem has been around for decades, right? For generations, they've been yeah. owning corporate Malaysia for a long time. In fact, their ownership has gone up uh, through the years. And uh, we didn't really think about this before because we thought that growth would go on forever. And now the world is not growing. Yeah. Uh, this policy is coming home to roost and we are desperately searching for some kind of growth. Yeah, of course, actually. It's, it's, if you ask me, actually, why many, many Malaysians are unhappy is because many things are unaffordable for these people. Uh, homes, a good salary package, uh, cars, uh, house renovation, everything's gone up. Wages have just not gone up at all. And then the other argument being put forward is actually, uh, we can't really pay you at this time because the market is not doing well or the economy is not doing well. So Suresh, you're yeah. an economist, right? Yeah. In, in the theoretical sense of the word, what would it take for wages to rise? You have to break down the barriers of entry into a certain industry. That's the main thing. Uh, and you have to reduce the government intervention in the economy itself. That means actually, you need to actually decentralize your government-linked corporates. Uh, many people would disagree with that. But government-linked corporates and government-linked investment companies were actually just set up for prime movers. That's about it. But not really to actually stranglehold the economy itself. And uh, I'm just wondering, right, what is, the, is there a new normal growth for Malaysia? I mean, we have been used to 4 to 5%, right? <laughs> Where is this going? Is it a pretty picture? You know, uh, when I started off my career in the Central Bank way back in 1994, uh, 
the quarterly GDP was running around like nine percent. <laughs> yeah, okay. those were the days. Nine, nine to ten percent. You know, eight percent was something of a slowdown. <laughs> But uh, you know that that comes with with the maturity of the economy itself. Uh, the the GDP value of the economy is actually expanded. So naturally, the growth. Numbers actually slow down in percentage terms, but I think the new normal for the economy in the next five to six years would be in the range of three to four uh, percent. That's how it's going to be. Three to four percent. Yeah. So we got to get used to the the first figure, which is three. Why right? we we've come down from five, then to four, and now the three. We're, we're something like China. <laughs> that's that's uh, that's quite um, that's quite startling. And talking about that, also of course, uh, J- Japan is trying very hard to eke out some percentage points of growth. Uh, they're talking about a stimulus as well, two hundred billion dollars. Yes, being announced, uh, right? the, you know, monetary policy with negative interest rates in Japan, uh, it's just not working out for the economy itself. Uh, but you know, Japan is you know it's it's one of the largest economies in the world. And the 1780s actually was doing extremely well. And as I said, actually, as the economy matures, growth numbers slow down, and you find that actually fiscal policy will be forced to do a lot of that work. And the 200 billion spending that's coming up is actually the umpteen number of stimulus packages that Japan has introduced over the decades itself. But the question is actually, these stimulus packages tend to keep the economy afloat. I think without this, I don't think the economy could It'd have be worse. Yeah, it'd be worse off. So. Naturally, uh, what I'm seeing is actually this stimulus is actually providing a lot more to the economy. But for financial markets, it's actually probably going to keep the yen weaker, uh, probably closer towards 107, 108 to the dollar. Yeah, but so we've we've had what seven, eight years of stimulus and easing, and uh, you know now the whole world is is awash in debt. How how much longer can this go on for? You know, we we we've already seen the Japanese economy um, in negative rate ter- and, and overtly, deliberately mm. in negative rate uh, territory. The eurozone area as well, Switzerland as well, overtly as well. Um, this is all going to end in tears, right? <laughs> I mean, a, from an economic point of view, it's it's a it's it a new paradigm in economics. Actually, rates below zero. Yeah, uh, and you know, if if we look at actually over the decades. Uh, People tend to actually put money in banks where interest were pretty high. I yeah. still remember in the 80s and 70s when we had finance companies in Malaysia, interest rates were a lot more higher than banks were producing at the time. But we have come to a point where interest rates actually are extremely kept low, and it actually disincentivizes you to keep your money in banks this day. And that the, that's the whole intention, though. Yeah. They want mm-hmm. you to spend your money. Yeah, they'll penalize your <laughs> deposits. I want to know whether the banks would give me money for my housing loan, right? They might eventually <laughs> do that. They, they, I'm they looking might, forward to that. They might pay to borrow from them. That, that's the whole idea, isn't it? But you know, I know in certain countries in Europe, actually, where you have to pay the bank to keep your money there. Uh, yeah. So, yeah. because you know, rates have gone into negative, and and the banks actually produce certain type of charges on the deposits itself, saying that if you want to keep your money here, you'll have to pay the bank, uh, not the other way around. So this, uh, I mean, opens a whole other cans of worms. For example, pension savings. Uh, how can they be satisfied with negative interest rates? As I said, uh, you can't actually look at markets in such a way that it's actually a function of yield anymore. Uh, it's actually a function of capital appreciation itself. Uh, But you also want to avoid unrest, right? I mean, if these guys are putting away their money, squirreling it away, but they're not getting anything in return, uh, they will be very angry. Of course. So in that sense, actually, your contributions to forced savings uh, to statutory institutions like EPF or KWAP eventually over the years would actually reduce. So you need new legislations. To actually put forward to actually reduce their contribution to these institutions, so I, I I tend to see that this is what it looked like in about 
a decade or two decades down the road when interest rates are very low. So if you really want to put your money there, expect lower rates, uh, but actually whether these institutions actually reform themselves into actually looking into projects or investments that actually have capital appreciation instead, instead of yield. Yeah, so, so if we've got to get used, to, we've got to get our heads around the fact that yield is not the new normal. and, and uh, Sorry, yield is not the new normal and, and appreciation is... Where does one find appreciation if you don't? If the markets are not great, if they're growing at three or four percent a year, yeah, right. exactly. and that's in Malaysia, in yeah. America, in Europe, in Japan, yeah. right? Which, which kind of brings me to my it, point that it's quite what, self-defeating. What, what is two hundred billion dollars um, of stimulus going to do an economy which is about four to five trillion? Uh, and also compared with the other QEs, the previous QEs under Abenomics, uh, that spends around eight hundred billion US dollars a year. Is two hundred billion going to push the needle in any way? No, not really at all. Actually, what you can do is actually probably give it a bit of a positive sentiment to the market. That's about it, and that's also going to be very temporary. Uh, whether this stimulus two hundred billion actually would it last for another few more years because of this? I, unlikely. I think it's just it's just a move that actually that will actually satisfy the market to push the yen towards a weaker level itself. Mm-hmm. Okay, so can we make it real, yeah. Suresh? Yeah. What does the young parent do today to save for his son's university education in twenty years' time? I mean, if you look at the products in the market that is there, is actually a bit of an insurance scheme that has actually got a bit of a sweetener with savings in it and some. Oh, don't get returns. me started on those. Don't, yeah. <laughs> don't that's, get that's, 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 that. that's the body that you have. That's that's on a different show. Yeah, <laughs> but it's it's not really attractive if you look at most of the most of the packages there. and and given the fact that even actually if you save enough, by the time your kid is actually twenty years, it's eroded by inflation. So yeah. okay, so yeah, something yeah. realistic, lah, Suresh. Yeah. You know, come on. I mean, you know, if, I if, mean, if, something realistic. If, if you're yeah. if you're 27 years old, you've got you know about to have a uh, you know have a child. Your yeah. son's going to go to university in 21 yeah. years time. What do you do? And you're you're willing to take on a whole bunch of risk. What are you going to do? Chong is worried you, about you the could, future. You, I am very worried yeah. about the future. You you you'll have to actually get something which is tangible, that is actually going to be. Re- Increasing in value mm-hmm. uh, over the years and actually is reducing in quantity. Mm-hmm. Uh, probably investing in some art galleries uh, or even <laughs> some, some Lego sets, wines, <laughs> wines, <laughs> uh, Lego sets. Yeah, or even actually getting a, a decent property Whiskies somewhere. Whiskies, I hear, are a really getting good getting a decent property right somewhere now. where there's actually not enough space or enough land. Actually, yeah. but all these investment programs actually it's eventually going to be eroded by inflation. Investment yeah. programs, don't start drilling on this because there's <laughs> management fees, there's entry fees, there's exit fees, all yeah. kinds of stuff. Forget it. Well, that, that's for a different show, yeah. a different episode. <laughs> uh, but, you know, going back to the stimulus in Japan, uh, I guess what you highlighted earlier is yeah. very important, which is that this is a fiscal policy yeah. as opposed to the kind of monetary policy uh, that is born out of uh, the QEs. Mm. And this is as much as what the ECB has said uh, yeah. the, the, Draghi has said that, that there's only so much they can do they want to now rely on the governments yeah. which brings us to the FOMC what's going to happen tonight? Uh, I'm inclined for them I mean I'm inclined to believe that actually there'll be one more rate hike question is actually whether it comes forth in this meeting itself uh, and bear in mind we've got the presidential elections in November itself uh, the question is actually whether they want to make the move before the elections or after the elections. Uh, I'm inclined to believe that actually they'll do it before the elections itself. So one more rate hike is there. It, but the futures yeah. markets are um, against what you're saying. Yeah. Uh, they're, they're betting that there would be they're no hike. Exactly, yeah. yeah. Because uh, the futures market tends to see 
a lot more of the external factors that are driving it itself. But I, I, I still believe that America is actually now in a, in a better footing compared to where it was about five years ago for rate hike view itself. Does the data support it to tighten? Mixed bag, really. Yeah. Uh, if you look at some of the numbers from the housing sector, or even inflation numbers, really does not actually uh, reflect that. But as I said, actually, if you look at non-farm payroll numbers, actually, certain months is down, but certain months is really strong. So if the Fed is actually keeping with its dual mandate, actually keeping unemployment low and and inflation low, it will actually eventually move. Uh, for a rate hike. Just. How much is the uh, US thinking, or the Fed rather specifically, thinking about the rest of the world, things like Brexit, what's happening in China and so on? I think if you put it on weightage terms, uh, it's probably actually 25% on the external factors and the balance of the domestic economy. Uh, America is actually very much domestic-centric as well. Uh, it doesn't care. It has a large trade deficit and so on. It's The key here is actually for its domestic economy itself. So it's spending on the works, right? Because I think the latest CNN poll puts uh, Donald Trump something like, what, 3 or 4% ahead of Hillary Clinton. Yes. And if Donald Trump comes in, you know, the walls will shoot up around the United States. <laughs> but a lot of market <laughs> people yeah. actually like Donald Trump. Uh, they do? I mean, they don't like him personally, but they, uh, they, they say that, they think that it would be good for markets. Yeah. You know, uh, much of his support, if you look at it from a democratic, I mean, demographic angle itself, it's uh, middle-aged white men uh, who are actually supporting him. And uh, compared to actually during Obama's time, it was actually the minorities and uh, Afro-Americans. But the key here is actually that I think this part of the segment of the population is actually driving that change itself. And it's, uh, I think it's going to be very positive for markets if Trump is around. Mm-hmm. So your conclusion is uh, 25 bips uh, by the end of this year? Yes. Uh, a, a hike of 25 yes. bips. yeah. Okay, there you go. Uh, you've been listening to the SNM show. Uh, that's all about what's working and what's not in stocks and market. And you have been with Kusu Chuang as well as myself, Julian Ng. And also like to thank our guest uh, this morning, Dr. Suresh Ramanathan, for coming in to talk to us on a number of topics. He's an independent FX strategist. Uh, join us again same time next week, BFM 89.9. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To find more great interviews, go to bfm.my or find us on iTunes. BFM 89.9, The Business Station.